You're listening to the It's Only Rock and Roll Podcast, and I like it. I want to rock! I remember when rock was young. The rock with you. Rock, rock, you rock. And a little bit of rock and roll. Got the rock in the morning. The rock and roll music. I'm in love with rock and roll. Rock, two, three, roll, two, three. Welcome to the It's Only Rock and Roll podcast. I'm your host, Don DiMuccio, and I do want to take this opportunity to inform everyone that no part of the show may be copied or rebroadcast without the expressed written consent of both Major League Baseball and Lee Majors. Good luck with that. Well, you landed on an interesting one tonight, kids. But before we get into it, I want to remind you that if you missed your favorite guest on a past episode, all of our shows are available on our website at www.itsonlyrockandrollpodcast.com or on iTunes Podcast, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, or Spotify, or you can stream it on your favorite podcast app. Just hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you choose, and you'll always be informed when a new show is available. You know, the music business has no shortage of extroverts and narcissists who use the word I more than a room full of optometrists would. But today's guest proved to be anything but, at least during the brief time that I had the privilege to speak with him this week. Whether talking about his days in traffic, the band he co-founded alongside Steve Winwood, Jim Capaldi, and Chris Wood, or playing on notable sessions like All Along the Watchtower for Jimi Hendrix or for The Stones on Street Fighting Man, Dave Mason approaches it all with a laid-back sense that music is just what he does and continues to do to sold-out crowds armed with some of the best-known rock and roll songs of the era. Take me the wrong way You know you can't go on it in your own way Cause if you do 
eclectic doesn't begin to describe the musical contributions made by today's guest. As a founding member of Traffic, his tenure with the band marked the most experimental and musically adventurous period, punctuated by their debut LP from late 67, Mr. Fantasy. But songs like Hole in My Shoe, Utterly Simple, and the rock and roll standard Feeling Alright already under his belt, he would leave Traffic to pursue a prolific solo career, which yielded more classics like Only You Know and I Know, and the enduring top 20 hit We Just Disagree. He's done sessions with Jimi Hendrix, the Rolling Stones, McCartney and Wings, and for George Harrison on All Things Must Pass. Next year, this Rock and Roll Hall of Famer releases a highly anticipated autobiography, but luckily we don't have to wait because he's here with us today. Please welcome to the It's Only Rock and Roll podcast, a true living legend, Dave Mason. How are you? Good morning, sir. How are you? Good, thank you. Is that intro long enough for you? Or? No. <laughs> I've been up since 6.30. How's life in beautiful California this morning? Well, no, I live in Nevada. Nevada? So I screwed it up already. Thought you were in Ojai for some reason. No, nah, I was 15 years ago. Ah, I didn't get the memo. <laughs> Two years off the road. It must be great getting back because I know you're doing the World and Changes tour. Uh, we just finished a little run about uh, 10 days ago, uh, which was good. Band is great. We were out in January. Early on this year, we were out with Marshall Tucker, and then we just finished up uh, uh, just Dave Mason. Basically, the last show was with the Omaha about 10 days ago, a little less than 10 days ago, with the, which was a really great festival with Sheryl Crow. You were out in my area in Rhode Island, I think in June. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, probably yeah, yeah. several. <laughs> been everywhere cool at one time or other that's great how long is that tour gonna last this tour is over i don't go back out again until november uh for a short california run pacific northwest nice nice and then we go back out again in the end of um end of january february probably a lot more shows next year now you were born in worcester england correct famed oddly enough for being the home to uh lean parents when worcestershire saw us Worcestershire saw us, and um, Mick Ralphs grew up about eight miles away from me, and Robert Plant was about 12 miles away. Well, there must be something in the water over there. Yeah. My question yeah. to you is, where the hell did your British accent go? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't really think about it. I've been here since 1969 anyway. Right. So. Right. What made you decide to move here? Uh, a number of factors. Babe, traffic wasn't happening. It was over for me, and... Um, uh, I thought I'd come to where everything, all the music originates from, which is America, um, and 98 cents in the dollar taxes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not a bad reason at all. Now, growing up in the 50s as a kid in the UK, were you tuned into American rock and roll? Or were you listening to like Adam Faith and Cliff Richard? Or? Um, everybody, well, like I said, you know, the British invasion is an American story. This, we just copied what came from this country, basically. I mean, any, everything but, everything but, um, I guess what you call, you know, real folk music or, or country music, which has its roots in Europe. Everything else is all from here. Jazz, blues, rock and roll, it's all American. Everything, yeah, yep. it's all from here. Fortunately, the British Invasion bands reintroduced American kids to music that they never even realized was here all along. Well, we turned everybody on to their own music. I mean, I, I mean, we didn't, you know, we didn't have racially discriminatory radio over over in Europe. In other words, we you know there were black radio stations, there were white radio stations mm. um, here. So 
Wheeler heard all the music there was. Um, and especially with you tune in your Radio Luxembourg or the American Armed Forces. And so we heard everything. And it was, we didn't have we didn't have to deal with that. So basically, we turned America back onto its own music, basically. Do you remember the first record you ever bought? Um, I don't. It was probably The Shadows. Hank Marvin? Hank Marvin, exactly. Yeah. Most Americans don't know, you know, they were huge all over the world except here. We had the Ventures, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So that, you know, Shadows, Ventures, anything guitar-based. As a kid, did you go see a lot of live shows? Yeah. What were some of the first bands you remember seeing? Well, the first bands would have been, you know, let's see, Gene Vincent, um, a lot of the uh, early shows that came through, Gene Pitney. Um, I would like to have seen Buddy Holly, but never got to see Buddy Holly. Uh, Roy Orbison, well, Roy Orbison when he was touring. Roy, the first Beatles tour was with they were they were the opening act for Roy Orbison, mm. Mm. and then uh, halfway through they changed that around. But pretty much whatever shows would come through, I was I was going to go hang around in the parking lot and wait for the bands to pull in so I could see the guitars and talk to them. Did you know then that that was what you were going to do with the rest of your life? Um, well, pretty. I, me, when I was younger, my whole dream was to go in the Royal Air Force. Really? Yeah. But I didn't have the, uh, my math skills were not up to par. So, and I wasn't going to work nine to five. I tried that and that wasn't going to work for me. So I guess it was either music or a life of crime, one or the other. <laughs> Some say one and the same. <laughs> Pretty much. <Yeah. laughs> Curious, what was that nine to five job? Oh, they were just three. They didn't last that long. Yeah. One was with a telephone company. One was a grocery store. One was, I forget what else. They were, they, they lasted mere months. Yeah. I mean, I had pretty much left home when I was 16, so. Really? Yeah. What was your childhood like? Well, my dad was born in 1894. Oh, wow. wow. And so he was in the First World War. And my half-brothers were in the Second World War. Uh, and I grew up grew up uh, a lot at the racetrack with my dad, horse racing. Hmm. And they had a candy store. For, candy store for 48 years, open eight days a week. Only closed one day a year on Christmas Day. Oh, wow. Literally a kid in the candy store. Mm -hmm. <laughs> A lot of the area bands, young bands, they tend to have a club that serves as their home base, whether it's like the Cavern with the Beatles and the Liverpool group, so the Craw Daddy in London. You guys had the Elbow Room. Was that the, the club that kind it of was started just a you? It was a coffee bar. There really wasn't any club in Worcester. There was some venues and there were shows that came to theaters. Uh, the, the Majestic Ballroom, Malvern Winter Gardens. But there wasn't really, there's nothing like the clubs were in London or Liverpool or such. But nonetheless, it was an important room. Is that where you met Jim Capaldi? No, no. Jim Capaldi used to be the the Saturday morning, you know, Saturday morning pictures. They'd have a go, and they'd have a, some live music before a movie. And Jim had a band. He was from Evesham. Had a band called the Sapphires. And Jim was Jim was playing at being Elvis out front singing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's he was from Evesham, which is about seven miles away from Worcester. Yeah. And, you know, you just, uh, so bands, local bands, you finally finish up picking the best guys from different bands and finally all finish up merging and getting together. 
tell me about some of those bands. What was the material you were doing? Was it just the top 40 stuff or were you into more R&B stuff? Well, you had to do top 40. You had to do that. Otherwise, you, you didn't get any big gigs. gigs. So you learned that. And, you know, we. my first band was basically an instrumental band called the Jaguars. And then um, there was a couple of bands. There was a deep feeling. And we did a lot of stuff. Pop stuff, Martha and the Vandellas, Oscar Brown Jr. Mm-hmm. And we, we were a mix of a lot of stuff. Then the Hellions, and then we made a record with the Hellions, um, doing a Jackie DeShannon song called Daydreaming of You, which didn't do anything. And then pretty much, and then with one of the bands, I was out backing PJ Proby for a while. It was a hell of a singer. Yeah, a lot um, of Americans don't know him. Interesting guy. But yeah, great singer. Yep. He did a lot of demos for Elvis, I think, right? Did a lot of demos. He, he, he could sing better than Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, man. He was pretty awesome. Yeah. Crazy, though. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's, you know, basically how it started. And, you know, Birmingham was the biggest city to Worcester, which is 30, about 35 miles away. So, Bar, you know, we got gigs up there. And then pretty much that's where we met Winwood was at a place called the Elbow Room. Which was a late night semi-private club, which had music. Um, so some of the early Moody Blues when Danny Lane was with them would play there occasionally. Yeah. Um, but there, you know, we gathered there and we, you know, just we all sort of shared the same kind of music when we could. We all were finished up hanging out together, getting stoned and listening to music. Was Chris Wood with you then, or did he come after Steve? Yeah, Chris was around. Chris was a friend of Steve's. And so traffic just came out of just um, just four young guys just hanging out, listening to music, basically. You knew Steve when he was with uh, Spencer Davis, right? Well, he was still with Spencer Davis. Yeah. You sang background on a couple of songs? I sang background on Somebody Help Me, Give Me Some Lovin' and I'm a Man. And what about being a roadie for them, I heard? There's some story for about around two that. Or three, for about three months. But that was basically just hanging out with Steve till he left the Spencer Davis group. I heard that you'd filled in for him one night when you didn't show up to a I game. did. I, what was I the did. story around that? It didn't turn up for the show. And uh, Spencer was like, come on, man, you got to get up. And, and I was like, what are you, nuts? I'm not going to you know, step in for Winwood. Uh, I mean, I was young. I mean, you know, Winwood's one of those child prodigies who was playing organ and guitar and singing blues at 15, for God's sake. Mm. So, yeah, I had stood in for him on a show. <laughs> Is there a specific moment in your mind's eye when you remember traffic coming together in terms of the kind of music you wanted to do? I heard Steve Winwood say once that he was certain what kind of a band he didn't want traffic to be, not another blues band. My, my whole thing was that, my for me, it was... I mean, we played around with, you know, redoing some, you know, Little Milton stuff and digging into all that kind of thing. But my, for me, it was, you know, what what can we write? What can we come up with? What can we create? Mm. And I didn't know because I'd never written anything. So, you know, we had no idea. That's why we went and put ourselves away in a little cottage. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that in Berkshire. Yeah. Kind of like what the band did with the big pink house in New York. Well, that's uh, they were doing the similar thing. Where I mean, we didn't know. It no. just happened that somebody else was doing a similar thing at the same time. Can you describe what that scene was like? How long a period was it? Not that long. I mean, early a year, maybe a couple of years that was there. I mean, it had no. It was just a place in the middle of nowhere. It was on the, out in the country, just no electricity, no running water, and we just sort of could go there and just 
we chopped down the outside toilet for firewood one <laughs> one night. You know, we were just we were kids. Yeah, we just did. We didn't. We have. We didn't have any responsibilities. We'd do what the hell we wanted. That's why you get into rock and roll in the first place. Well, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, but you got to have a passion for it. It's something you really want to do. And discipline. What was the first song that you guys worked up? Do you remember? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I don't Fair remember. <laughs> Did you have it like recording equipment out there? Were you listening to yourself doing demos or anything like that? No, we had nothing out there. Then we sort of put electricity in the in the house and got running warty going. I don't, you know, I don't really remember. Uh, it might be. I mean, it was probably eventually some kind of recording stuff there for us to you know, do stuff with. How'd you get uh, hooked up with Island Records? Well, Wormwood was already with them. He was already with Chris Blackwell. I mean, I didn't know nothing. I knew nothing. I just fell off the turnip truck. Yeah, but you came out of the shoot with a big hit. I know it wasn't big in the States yet, but in England and Canada, Paper Sun and Hole in My Shoe went to number two. Hole in My Shoe was their biggest hit. Uh, <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a nursery rhyme. <laughs> it's, you know... I was playing sitar, and George Harrison had given me a sitar that he'd learned on. And so I, and it was, I was listening to all kinds of stuff, Ukrainian music, classical music, jazz, Indian music, blues, gospel, you name it. The sitar, the shanai, is that kind of like an Indian clarinet? Is that a fair way to describe it? Mm, kind of, yeah. I know you said George gave you the sitar, but did you do any lessons? Did you study with anybody, or did you just kind of find your way around it? No, I've never studied anything musically. I'm just self-taught. In the 80s, when I was a kid, I had a high school algebra teacher, of all people, just hand me a copy, an American copy of Mr. Fantasy, and say, you got to listen to this. It blew my mind. Great record. The thing I don't understand is, why are you not on the cover or the back cover? <laughs> what the hell happened? Yeah, they took me off there. Yeah, Although I'm back on the reissue that came out last year. Oh, thank God for small favors. Well, it's you can read the book. Can I? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to get a copy. <laughs> well, was that a point of contention at all for you? Cause... Well, no, I left the band. I, re I mean, I left after the first album. Well, the, the success, I, w I, was, I couldn't deal with the, um, it was just too much for me. How so? Just, just, just too much. I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a simple guy from Worcester, England, country kid. It was all just too much. The success, fame, I guess, more than anything. Yeah. I never wanted to be. I just wanted to make music, make money, and meet girls. <laughs> that was yeah. it. I didn't want to be famous. <laughs> was it like a drag with you know doing interviews, having to be certain places at certain times. It wasn't. It was a drag. It was just, just. I I don't know. It's just a lot of things. I've just you know I get you get it's so you get tired of what people think you are or what the impression of you is, mm. and so it was just too much for me. I took a break, you know. Yeah. And you know, during that time, I met Hendrix and worked with Hendrix. I produced an album for a group called Family. Family. Yeah. Uh, music in a Doll's House, and just went and worked on my songwriting. Well, you brought up Hendrix. Let me ask you. You famously played 12 string on All Along the Watchtower? On, on, uh, well, I was going to be, I was going to, uh, we were seriously talking about me taking Noel Redding's place on bass. Huh. Um, but yeah, I finished up playing 12 string on All Along the Watchtower and singing on Crosstown Traffic. And then I did a f three or four tracks with Jimmy playing bass and sitar. I have no, which 
I have no idea what happened to them. None of that surfaced as uh, bull eggs, right? Yeah, I don't know what, what happened to that stuff. And I just sort of, you know, goofed around and came over to the States probably a couple of times, hung around early on. I met Delaney and Bonnie, which I later, when I came back, played with. You were friendly with Graham Parsons. I met Graham at uh, the Rolling Stones session at Olympic. Yep. I played on Street Fighting Man. Was that the association? Well, I knew Brian. I knew I knew Brian because there was a girl that sort of sort of floated between me and Hendrix and Brian. <laughs> so, well, let me ask you about Brian Jones because history has almost painted him like a caricature of not being quite there. Well, Brian was the probably the most. I mean, certainly the most musically talented in that whole band. I mean, that was his band. He put that band together. Right. right. But you know, it was that era. Everybody was. Everybody was. You know experimenting, doing research. Brian just went a little too far, but he was great. He was an interesting guy. I mean, you could put, you'd give him an instrument, you give him a half an hour with it, he'd be playing it. He was quite an accomplished guitar player himself. He yeah. was pretty, um, pretty he, musically pretty talented, but he just got too messed up. Yeah, there was people believe that he might have been murdered rather than- No, no, I don't- You don't think so? I don't, I don't buy that, no. <laughs> Oh, well. Brian was truly messed up. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> I was around him a few times. So you took the break from traffic. What was the impetus to come back? Were you asked back? They were. I was in the U.S. at the time, and they were recording in New York at the record plant, working on the second album, and they only had five tunes. Mm. And I dropped by the session, and I was like, well, uh, I got five songs. Um one of them was feeling all right. And they were like, oh, okay. Well, shit. I guess you're back in the band. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are very few cover versions that surpass and eclipse their original. You know, like Joe Cocker did it with, with a little help from my friends. Probably the only cover that's arguably better than the original. I like Joe Cocker's, but your version, great song. Cocker's, well, if, it, if, if, if Cocker hadn't have done that, there wouldn't have been as many covers as there are. Right. Right. That's right. I mean, the song's not about feeling all right at all. It's about not feeling too good myself. That's it. He changed the vibe and the attitude of the singer. So, you know, he turned it into feeling all right. It's, it's, feeling all right is not a, it's not, it's, it's not a declaration. It's a question. <laughs> right. I heard Steve Winwood talk about one of the things he didn't like was that you brought completed songs versus ideas to be worked out, fleshed out as a band. Did you get any that kind of pushback? I, I, it's, it's kind of a lame-ass statement. I mean, they they had sort of finished songs anyway, and we all sort of worked things out. anyway. I mean, I may have had a song, but it was in an idea of what to do with it, but so did they. So did him and, him and Jim. Right. You know, so it's, you know. I feared you guys had some issues. You and Steve had some clashes at the time. Um, well, I don't. I think he's a super talented artist. Yeah. Where do you think that source of friction might have come from? I don't know. Maybe because I was writing the hits. Yeah. You left Traffic again, and you're working with Delaney and Bonnie, and you also worked on George's album. Help me with the chronology here. Were you already with them? No, I'd met them earlier on in visiting the States um, through Graham Parsons, and um, I saw them play a few times and was just like blown away. And then when I came here, I finished up getting together with them again. And people who represented them represented me 
And then I got a record deal with Blue Thumb and started working on the Alone Together album. And at the same time, I spent a lot of time hanging around with Delaney and Barney. You know, I played guitar with them for a while. Went out there, went, went, we went a lot of dates in America, a lot of Europe. And then we opened up a lot of the Blind Faith shows, which is kind of where Eric got involved um, with that band, which, of course, most of which became Derek and the Dominoes. And then Delaney and Bonnie had their biggest hit with my song, Only You Know and I Know. A year later. Yeah, that's right. I don't know if we covered... What made you leave traffic again? You read the book. <laughs> Stop saying that. <laughs> read the book. <laughs> Give me a clue. No, read the book. Too many interviews. There won't be any point in putting the book out. Dang. Always the businessman, huh, Dave? No, it's just uh, <laughs> just no point in putting the book out. You're right. <laughs> I mean, after, you know, people, artists, you know, I mean, this is our business. Of course. I mean, you know, just because it's music and everybody thinks it fell off a Christmas tree. Oh, no. This is our business, you know. And unfortunately, most of it's been decimated by the zeros and ones. So mm. It's true. Believe me, I'm not a fan of the way things are going, you know. I still yeah, want I mean, albums. I want to read the liner notes. And it's, I mean, it's starting to come back a little. Well, the biggest problem is that there's no... You know, I've got stuff that I play around in the studio, but there's no point in putting out new records. It's just a waste of time. It's a waste of time because there's nobody, you know, everybody thinks about the internet, but the fact of the matter is that terrestrial radio is still very powerful and huge, but there's nobody home. <laughs> right. There ain't no right. DJs anymore. Nope. There's nobody there going, hey, check this out. You know, it's just they play the same shit over and over and over and over and over again. Like I'd, there's some kids that come to my show. Do you listen to radio? Yeah, nah. I know why because it's I, there's no there's no surprises. There's nothing there. You know, it's just the same stuff. So there's nobody there promoting what you're doing. There's nobody there telling you what you're doing. So you become, you know, thrown in with that whole mishmash of, you know, the internet, the the the, the worldwide supermarket. <laughs> you know? Which could have been a great tool. Well, it is a great tool. It's not it's not that it isn't a great tool. It is a great tool. But it would be nice to have radio still involved with somebody, you know, there at home. Yeah. You know, like some of the great DJs, like here, check this. Or even if classic rock radio, for instance, okay, the format. And there's so many. The other thing is, is how many goddamn formats are there right. anymore? Right. I mean, for Christ's sake, it was you know, it's just music. There's a zillion goddamn formats. So you know, but even classic rock, it'd be nice if there was one or two or three DJs on on terrestrial radio doing classic rock. So it's not here's a classic Dave Mason, but here let's check out the new one from Dave. Right. The, there's nobody there anymore. The closest so, you're getting is like Little Stevens Underground, something like that. There, there's pockets of it going on in small town, you know, yeah. small places yeah. in the country, but on a national level, nothing. It's not there anymore. So, it, you know, I'm the Tupperware guy. I'm, you know, I'm like, hey, it's me, it's Dave. I'm here. I'm, I'm at the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so yeah. I, I bring stuff to the shows. Sure. And that's where we do it. And a lot of, actually, we talk about vinyl. I mean, vinyl, a lot of people buy vinyl out there on the road. Selling a lot of uh, LPs versus yeah. CDs. or Downloads must be not, not that great. No, it isn't. And you don't get paid. 
But they give you like point zero 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 one percent. Well, everybody talks about you get screwed by the record labels, but let's face it, we're getting screwed worse by Spotify and the, and the other guys. Oh yeah, <laughs> they're paying nothing. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's you can't. You know, we're the artists. We just, we last in line. <laughs> but you're still doing it. Well, I make music. I love making music. I mean, that's what I do. But I love playing live. You know. You know, speaking of vinyl again. That debut album of yours, Alone Together, amazing lineup of musicians. You got Leon and, and Bonnie, Bramlett, and Rita Coolidge. All. Talk about the ambitious packaging for 1970. You had that swirl thing going on with the with the vinyl. Well, that was just an, yeah, this world, that was an accident. You just can't control how the colors come out in the press. So that was just a random thing. So that's every, every one of them is different. Right. And uh, the packaging was Barry Feinstein's idea. And that was great because it, for me, it was, we always were that way with traffic anyway, you know, some kind of, you know, different approach to something. We caught it the next album with Mama Cass, which in some ways seems counterintuitive, but yet in others, it makes perfect sense. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, two great artists, obviously. Tell me how that came to be. Uh, well, I didn't, you know, know anybody when I moved here. Graham introduced me, to, took me up to Cass's house, and it just happened that there was a couple living there that I knew who were really good friends of mine from England, that I had no idea that they were there. So from coming from there to America, to Los Angeles, now I had somebody, famil some familiar people. So I finished up spending a lot of time there, and that's how the thing with Cass developed. It was never a, you know, let's do an album with Cass Elliot thing. That just came out of just a lot of time spent there, just hanging out. And songwriter? Ned Dohaney was involved too. Ned? <laughs> Ned was cool. I mean, Ned would have been, you know, Ned was kind of right in there with the Jackson Brown. All those, the, the guys that sort of became the Eagles and all that stuff. There was yeah. a group of them. Um, they were all hanging around. Ned would have, you know, Ned could have been that guy. But, you know, it's a Doheny. He didn't need to go anywhere, do anything. I mean, there's a road in L.A. named after his family. <laughs> Doheny Drive. He didn't have the hunger? He no, should've... no. He didn't need to. He didn't have it. Got it. Well, you worked with George, and you worked with Paul, Venus and Mars. Did you go to New Orleans? Uh, yeah, I played on All Things Must Pass. Don't ask me which tracks. I don't know. Um, McCartney, I knew. I'd have known McCartney since back in traffic days. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I finished up playing with him on, on uh, Listen to What the Man Said. Are you doing the lead on that? Uh, he, he and I are, yeah. Any memories, specific anecdotes from working on that? No, really. I mean, there's nothing, there's no unique stuff to relate really in any of these sessions. I mean, they were just, you know, other than the significance of the people involved. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's just another recording session, basically. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. They were in New Orleans recording, and I was doing a show down there at the warehouse. And I had a day off the next day, and they'd asked me to come by the studio. So I went down there to say hi and hang out. And Paul was like, hey, you know, here, play on this. <laughs> okay. And yeah, what are you going to say, no? <laughs> and you recorded an awful lot of solo albums in the 70s, very prolific. But well, he's very prolific, musically super prolific. Talk about you. Oh, me. Oh. You recorded a lot. Uh, um, well, um, yeah, yes, I guess. 
Well, Let It Flow might be your best known, at least. Let It Flow and Alone Together, probably. I mean, yeah. Let It Flow because of the song We Just Disagree. Well, you released So High first. So High was the first single, which I thought would have done pretty good, but it didn't. I Let It Flow was a single. Yep. But We Just Disagree, beautiful song written by your guitarist, Jim Kruger. Yeah. Did he present it as a completed song or did you develop it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So I he sat and played it to me. He said, I got a song I think perfect for you and he played it. And I said, Yeah, that's 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 a great song. Perfect for you and perfect for the times too. A lot of divorce and going around. It's perfect for any time. <laughs> yeah. It just seemed to hit the spot, you know? Yeah, but it's the song, the words the the words are perfect for any any doesn't matter when. True. I know in 1980, during the recording of uh, Old Crest on a New Wave. The last album I did for Columbia, yeah. Yeah, someone came in and sang background. Michael Jackson. What happened there? He was in the other studio, and I needed somebody to sing a high part on this song. And so I figured, well, I'll go ask him if he would mind if he'd come over and do it. And they were on a break, um, and he was just standing around. And I just say, I'm Dave Mason, and I'm working on this song and I was wondering if you would uh, come over and maybe sing some parts on it while you're on a break and he seems, kind of looked at me he said you know when I was when I was 12 I said I did this special with Diana Ross on TV and he said and then we the last song we did on that show is a song called Feeling Alright so yeah of course I'll come sing I could ask you about joining Fleetwood Mac uh, did it feel like a good yeah. fit from the start oh <laughs> <laughs> Um, the Fleetwood Mac cover band. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, who all was in it? That was it was still John McVie and Mick and John McVie, Mick, Christine McVie did the record, but she wouldn't go on the road. Okay. And we did a, you know, we toured for a couple of years, U.S. and God, where we go, Europe, uh, Puerto Rico, Japan, and we put an album out called Time, which nobody knows about, but the label never promoted it. So, and then it all came to a sort of very abrupt halt because they were putting the band back together again, which was the smartest thing they could do. Well, it doesn't seem like you enjoyed that too much from what I've read. It was pretty, you know, it was, I mean, I wasn't in the greatest of places myself personally, but it was just, you know, it was, it, it, it was not a very collaborative process, either recording or other than just getting up on stage and playing. I mean, and like, and, and by then, you know, it was just the only original members were Mick and John. Right. So we were, you know, we were basically just a Fleetwood Mac cover band. You've been on stage so many times over the decades. Is there any highlight that you can pinpoint? Um, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of them. Probably playing uh, early traffic show in Budapest when it was still a communist country. Playing at the Albert Hall, jamming with Hendrix. Um how much of that stuff was recorded? It is. It's it, you, it's on it's on the internet somewhere. You had a scary moment on stage about six years ago. Oh, I, I yeah, I collapsed. I was severely dehydrated. Yeah, but then when I came back and did the, <laughs> when I came back and did the show, I had the curtains open up with me laying on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and got up and said, hey, okay, let's uh, continue with the song. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, I was just severe, very badly dehydrated. That was the prognosis after they rushed me to the hospital. Oh, jeez. Oh, you're, you, you're majorly dehydrated. You need to get some fluids. And that shit can sneak up on you, too, when you're on the road. Yeah, you know. 
it's at this point it's you know i'm not 18 anymore it's like i say you're not paying me to get up there and play you're paying me to leave the house and get there right <laughs> <laughs> gotta ask you about the rock and roll hall of fame you know that could be a bittersweet moment for a lot of bands oh of bands. that <laughs> well i don't want to go into it too much again otherwise it's no point about the book but that was just it was a farce really it was a farce and it was set up and it was coming together that really wasn't about traffic it was about steve winwood so i was like you know what have at it guys are you glad you did it i was there i didn't play well you played at the end i played at the end feeling uh, yeah. feeling all right with everybody else on the show yeah. as backup <laughs> why the autobiography now because i got badger because i got pestered into it forever and it was like i finally said okay okay i'll do it god leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> fans and friends and it's like okay 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 <laughs> how long did it take how to put together it it's not done yet it's not done my co-author is coming up here at the end of the month to get this finished i know you're a very charitable guy talk to me about rock our vets well rock our, yeah well i friend of mine ted knapp out there in new jersey we got involved with somebody a while back uh, about vets because obviously we're very i'm very supportive of of all that and then we started rock our vets a few years back which has since been handed over to a, another friend of ours and i i do what i can when i'm mostly out in the east coast we support um actually we support all all uniform services law enforcement fire military you know, I'm I'm all for um, supporting any of those people. Sure. Are you an American citizen? I am not. I am a resident. Got your green card. Yeah, I am an alien resident. I'm an alien. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel uh, the end of politics at all? I mean, is that not going to ask you anything uh, specific? I don't even want. But I'm, I don't go there. I'm an entertainer. What do you think about that, about musicians who sometimes cross that line? I think they should shut the hell up and entertain. Yeah. That's what they're there for. You get enough of that crap every day. You know, I know what I think. Right. But um, I'm here to entertain. So whatever you're, you, what you think or believe is not really, you know, it's not relevant in that sense to me. So I'm here to entertain people. And also from a business point of view, why would you alienate 50% of your audience? Well, that too. I mean, there's no, there's, there's no point because, I mean, the problem is that the views are going to do that because people get, they all get all wrapped up in this nonsense. Yep. Uh, basically, my, my thing about politics is that all they're missing is a mask and a gun, those people. <laughs> Anybody that tells me that they're going to help me, that they're, they're thinking about me more than themselves, I'm going to be running the other way as fast as I can. Because <laughs> they get their hand ready to go right in your pocket. <laughs> exactly. Haven't seen you in a while How've you been? Have you changed your style? And do you think That we've grown up differently 
don't seem the same Seems you've lost your feel for me So let's leave it alone Cause we can't see eye to eye There ain't no good guy There ain't no bad guy There's only you and me And we just disagree That's Dave Mason with We Just Disagree. And I want to thank Dave for being on the It's Only Rock and Roll podcast. And starting in late October, Dave Mason's Wilden Changes Tour will be hitting the West Coast of the U.S. with shows throughout California, Portland, Seattle, Phoenix, and Tucson. So be sure to visit his website for show and ticket info, the links to which are in the show notes. Also in the show notes are links to where you can find the It's Only Rock and Roll podcast, whether on our website at www.itsonlyrockandrollpodcast.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube at It's Only Rock and Roll Podcast. Typed out as all one word, no abbreviations, spaces, commas, please, because if you do, that little snuggles the fabric softener bear dies. You don't need that on your conscience. We'll be back with another episode of the It's Only Rock and Roll podcast real soon. Be good. Seems I've got to have a change of scene. Cause every night I have the strangest dream. Prison by the way it could be. Left here on my own, or so it seems. I've got to leave before I start to scream Someone's locked the door and took the key You feeling alright? I'm not feeling too good myself Well, you feeling alright? I'm not feeling too good